0: Jack, can you kill the spotlights just a little bit for me? Thank you. <clears throat> Don't need my bald head blinding anybody out there from the glare. <clears throat> ah, thank you. We've often heard it said um, that context is everything, and so when you're when you're dealing with the text, uh, like the Bible uh, that was written two thousand years ago or, or longer, it's important to have some. Sense of the circumstances that they were written under. Uh, we've been using as a primary text for our series uh, the first epistle of Peter. And uh, First Peter was written in the mid-60s A.D. Uh, it was at a time uh, during deep persecution under the, the evil and sadistic uh, reign of the Roman Emperor Nero, if you've heard of him. Uh, and this young and, and fledgling Church of Christ followers were being put to a pretty severe test, and they desperately needed encouragement as well as wisdom and sound teaching to help them to hold, under, hold up under the strain of just constant attack. There needed to be some, some very clear guardrails of how are we to love and act and treat one another to keep this Christian witness from unraveling under the, the strain. So, I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Peter this morning and kind of keep that context in mind as we look at his words. 1 Peter 4, page 1731. We're going to start in verse 7. Peter writes, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So he says the end of all things is near, which seems like a peculiar phrase since we're 2,000 years later. (laughs) What does he mean? Well, Peter is just acknowledging that as humans, we're in the third act of the redemptive story of God's work in this world. So if you think of Act 1 being the creation, the fall, and basically the whole story of the Old Testament leading up and anticipating and waiting for the Messiah, uh, the Savior Jesus. And so Jesus arrives on the scene and Act 2 kind of starts, and that would be kind of the gospel's time, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And since that point, since Jesus' ascension into heaven, we've been and still are in Act 3. Act three is characterized by the, the building up of the, the church of Christ around the world, the sharing of the gospel um, to every corner of the globe, waiting in anticipation for the second coming of Christ when he ushers in this new heaven, a new earth, which will be Act four. So, since we have no specific date of his return, Uh, When you see a lot of times in the New Testament writing, they they say that we have to live with this constant sense of anticipation and expectation and readiness, because it says it'll come like a thief in the night. So we need to be sober-minded and alert and praying. Another way to think of that phrase, the end of all things is near, is to say, in light of eternity, right, eternity is just around the corner. In light of eternity, what really matters? In light of eternity, what really matters? What deserves our best energy? It's a mindset issue, which we talked a lot about last week. Last week, we talked about having the same mindset as Christ, right? We talked about being like-minded with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we talked about how Jesus' mindset was one of humility and self-sacrifice towards our brothers and sisters. So in light of the fact that they were being threatened and persecuted by Rome, And in light of eternity, what? (laughs) Look at verse 8. So in light of those things, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. We all want to know that somebody's looking out for us, right? It's a comforting feeling to have a posse of friends. That we can count on. It's certainly what Napoleon Dynamite was looking for. Yes? So you got my back and everything? What? Never mind. Exactly. For those of you that haven't seen Napoleon Dynamite, I don't think you can come to church here anymore. But we'll talk about that later. Pedro wasn't tracking with Napoleon at the time, okay? He wasn't getting that, you know, best friends have responsibilities with one another. But later on during Pedro's epic campaign to be student body president, you see this shift in mindset, this crucial transformation to where now Pedro is offering his protection, not just to Napoleon, but to anybody that would would vote for him for for president. And he had this whole posse of cousins that would kind of, have his back and take care of things as well so but seriously it's all joking aside in light of those circumstances Peter says above all as the church representing and reflecting Jesus Christ make sure you get this thing right love each other love each other how What does he say? Deeply. Deeply. Peter's concerned with the quality, the sincerity, the priority of their love for one another. This is not an emotional description of love. This is not like sentimental, rom-com kind of love. This is love in action. The Greek word that was used here to describe this kind, of, uh, this kind of feeling, this passion, this love, is ectenes. It means the strenuous, outstretched, habitual activity of an athlete as they run, jump, throw. This is a fervent love that has some teeth to it, okay? And as I've shared before, learning to love people well, and certainly deeply, <laughs> uh, has been a journey for me. I was a, an only child. Um, very self-centered in nature, honestly. And it's required me to dig in on a lot of levels. And for one, it's just required time. I've been the pastor here since we started. So 17 years of digging in and pursuing relationships with a lot of you. I've taken a lot of time to try to get to know as many stories of people's lives as I can. I've shared my own story, not only face-to-face, but on Sunday morning, just kind of revealing bits and pieces of of my own journey. I've gotten some counseling over the years. I've tried to figure out how my wounds and my personality keep me from being the person that I want to be all the time. It's been work (laughs) to learn to love deeply. And more than anything, though, that process has been marked by a constant journey towards the heart of Christ. So it's one thing to, you know, to kind of learn a lot about yourself and about other people, and those are all good things. But what's taught me the most about love is is journeying towards the heart of Christ. It's been a process of learning the depth of his love for me. He does not treat me as my sins deserve. His love reaches to the heavens. It's an unfailing love. He is patient and kind and gracious and full of mercy towards me and you. And the more that I dive into the reality of how God loves me deeply, the more that I can extend that deep love to everyone around me. It's not a love I can muster up on my own. It first has to be received from God. That's why Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus is so powerful. Look at this that he prayed in Ephesians 3. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul is like, man, we've got to grasp this and know this so then we can live out this love towards one another. Jesus himself said, and we've, we've talked about this verse from John 13, it says, a new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Is that how we're known as a church? Are are wellspringers known for their love for one another? Are you known for your love? I don't know about you, but I've got a long way to go in that. But I keep leaning in, pursuing Christ, right? The ruling desire in my heart is to love people well love people like God loves me and so it's something that I pray about regularly it's something on the forefront of my mind there's some intentional pursuit in my heart for that I don't just expect it to happen (laughs) I understand that there's work (laughs) that needs to go into that above all love one another deeply because what Love covers over a multitude of sins. So we've talked a little bit about the context of the letter. Let's talk for a moment about what do we know about the author. Okay, this was written by Peter. Who can just kind of give me some basics about him, his story. What do we know about him from the Gospels? That he, yeah, he's kind of known for denying or Jesus three times on the night that he was arrested. What else do we know about him? Okay, yeah, Jesus called him the rock, right? Changed his name from Simon to Peter, okay, which means the rock. What else? Yeah. He was a fisherman, good. Anything else we know about him? Yeah. I'm sorry, say that one. Yes, impulsive and ran his mouth sometimes, right? Yeah, you guys are good. Okay, so we're introduced to Peter. right, early on in the story, like somebody said, he was a fisherman who was chosen by Jesus to be one of the 12 disciples. One of the first encounters that we see with him is in Luke 5. And Peter says, after this encounter, he says, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. So there's a little bit of an awareness of his depravity, the depth of that. And then we watch his journey kind of unfold in the gospels. and yeah, Peter is brash. He's also really courageous, right? He's the one that says to Jesus, hey, let me walk out on the water to you, and he does it. He's the only human that I know of that's, that's walked on water that wasn't Jesus. But he's impulsive too, right? He, when Jesus is a rep, he, he pulls his sword out and cuts the ear off of the high priest servant's, uh, you know, servant's ear. And so he's a little bit of a, a renegade. And then finally, as we mentioned, he disowned Christ in his hour of need, something that he swore just a few hours before that he would never do. But then, man, we get this epic scene in the resurrection, post-resurrection in John chapter 21, where Jesus is on the shore and Peter is out in the boat with some of the other disciples fishing, and Peter sees Jesus on the shore, and the scripture says that he just jumps out of the boat, and he just... Swims, You know, he's got his outfit on and stuff, and so he's swimming, he's running, he's trying to do everything he can to get to Jesus as quickly as he can because he knows that Jesus is going to receive him with grace and tenderness. Peter understands what it means to be covered over by a love despite his worst failures. This is the person writing these words. Let's remember that. And Peter's taking this phrase, love covers over, from a couple of Old Testament Psalms. Psalm 32, one says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And then Psalm 85, you forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. So this language was a part of kind of the the Jewish culture from scripture. And to cover in Hebrew, when it was written in the Old Testament, meant... To hide an offensive object by putting another object over it, okay? And that's what it meant to, to cover something. God did this for Adam and Eve in the garden when he created clothing for them to cover over the shame of their nakedness. God's nature is to cover over, to protect. A lot of times he uses imagery of like that we're under the, sh- you know, the protection of his wings, right? We find shelter under, under those So from a very practical sense, I want to talk about two specific ways that we can cover over the sins of others by our love for them. So the first one, and this is going to sound a little bit counterintuitive, but the first way that we can cover over the sins of others is to overlook their sin. Not to excuse any behavior, and we obviously have to take a look at You know, the severity of the sin, there are certain things we just can't excuse, like abuse, okay? But there are a whole lot of other sins that fall into what I would call kind of minor categories. And in overlooking it, we hope that our forgiveness and patience over time will bear fruit in that person's life. Or maybe they're not at a place where they're really ready to hear it from us. Proverbs have some really good advice for us. Proverbs 19.11 says this, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. Remember, God does not treat us as our sins deserve. I think we'd all be pretty horrified if he was up in, in, in the sky taking a list of all of our sins over the course of a day. And then, you know, he had a sit-down ses- ses- session with us before we went to bed at night, and he said, okay, let's go over this, you know, did you know that at 9-11 you did this, and then at nine thirteen you did this, and then at nine seventeen we went here. And, I mean, could you imagine how daunting and oppressive and overwhelming that would be if God really revealed every mistake that we made day after day after day after day? He doesn't do that (laughs) because he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, right? He chooses to to just show grace. And our friends and loved ones who are stuck in a pattern of sin, (laughs) we have to remember that oftentimes they're acting out of pain and unhealed wounds in their life. And that old adage applies here that hurting people Hurt people. I think of my uh, cross-country coach when I was in high school who met me as a freshman, not a Christian, uh, <laughs> and he just gently loved me for a number of years. And especially in the early days, he showed me the kindness of Christ by looking past a lot of my foolish pride and anger and selfishness and gossip or who knows what else, all the ugliness that flowed out of the coping skills that I was using at the time to deal with the pain in my life. So sometimes we cover over a multitude of sins by just overlooking an offense and giving somebody else just grace, the grace of not judging them or reacting harshly to their foolishness. And guys, this also requires us to stop being so easily offended. We got to stop being so easily offended. Our fragile society right now in general makes it really hard to overlook anything. As the church, we've got to be better at that, set a better standard. (laughs) But we all know that there are times, so this would be the second way, so one is to overlook it. The second is that we know there are times that we have to confront things, right? Peter didn't say that love ignores a multitude of sins, he said it covers over. And I think about the story of Jesus and the adulterous woman, right? His his love sheltered and protected her from, from the crowd that day. But also, he told her on the way out, go and sin no more. He didn't ignore her part in the story. And there are so many helpful verses on how to go about doing that. I'm just going to throw up a few. I'm going to let you read them and get your reactions to them. or Maybe I should read them for you. <laughs> it's a pretty tiny print. It says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins brothers and sisters if someone is caught in a sin you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted instead speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is christ and then finally in romans 2 4 or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness forbearance and patience not realizing That God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So, as you guys just take in those different verses on how we go about maybe confronting someone, what do you feel (laughs) as you hear those verses? How are you experiencing those truths this morning? Anyone? Yeah. Mary. Um,
1: just seeing that love, there's love,
0: patience, kindness, these things that he mentions. I guess just makes me think that <clears throat> and those are fruits of the spirit. So is he giving her, you know,
1: is giving instructions and his teachings,
0: assuming that we are walking in the spirit. Mm. Yeah. Um, the
1: yeah. And on this is
0: for the and yeah, that's a great point. So she says that this, these instructions are for us in the church. All right, so, so we need to, to focus on this family first before we get out in the world and start pointing out everybody else's flaws. <laughs> she talked about the uh, assumption that's being made here because there's several of the fruits of the Spirit listed in here is that we are connected to God, that we are growing in these things so that when we do come into a situation where we do confront something, that we're doing it in a way that's patient and kind and gentle restorative in nature, just like God does with us, right? Those are really good observations. Anything else? Yeah, Randy? Well, in a simple term for me is if you've
1: got it, you got it, and I identify better with empathy with hmm. other people and coming to them and talking about this, hey, amen. I was like this, but look, Jesus brought me to forgive and myself and love so that I can love them unconditionally and bring them to the path. Yeah. And give them the grace and mercy and acceptance, you know, to let them know that they're loved. Yeah. You know, there's nothing they can do, that I'll love them regardless of what they've done or how they came to this. Yeah. You know, um it also comes to bear that um we're each other's eyes and ears and to bring something to somebody that we see that could be doing them harm in a loving, caring manner could save their life. This makes us messengers through that message.
0: Yeah. And
1: it's our responsibility.
0: Yeah. That's, we that's good. That's good. We are saved. I love that phrase. He said, if you spot it, you got it. <laughs> right? Being being a, a kind of a little bit of an arrogant person most of my life, like is a battle that I've struggled with. Like, you know what annoys me more than anything? Arrogant people. Now, see, I don't know what the flip side is. Like somebody that's really kind and loving, do they get really mad at people who, other people who are kind and loving? Like I don't, I don't know the flip side of that coin at all, but maybe you guys can fill me in. You folks that are better than me. Let me just say this, guys. <laughs> Later in my relationship with my, my coach, so by the time I was a senior and I was a follower of Christ and a, a leader on our team and all those things, when I was probably ready to hear it, <laughs> He did sit me down and confront me about my selfish behavior. And it's a helpful sting that I still vividly remember 36 years later. I could tell you everything about where we met and sat and when it was, what it felt like, what I felt like hearing those words from somebody that I knew loved me, saying something that I knew was true about me that it was hard to hear. And he because he was right, <laughs> and I needed to hear it, but i I want us to keep in mind it was, it was enveloped <laughs> in a blanket of unconditional love that had been nurtured for years, and I think that a lot of this has to do as I was thinking about this. I just wrote this note in this morning um, a lot of this has to do with personality too. How many of you guys are are more naturally people that are okay with confrontation? It's okay, it's all right, yeah. Okay, so for you, your journey and application from this is that probably you're going to have to pray and work on just overlooking some things with folks, just letting some things go, right? Have that mindset of like, okay, in light of eternity, (laughs) do I really need to address this issue with this person? Now, how many of you are, are not confrontational by nature? Probably more so of you. Okay, For some of you guys, your journey is that the the loving thing for you to do in some of your relationships right now is that you need to lean in and you need to confront some folks about some sin patterns in their life that have been destructive. The way those people are behaving is is hurting them and others, and it's unloving for you to sit back and just let them continue to do that. And so maybe that's the challenge for you this morning. That's how you're going to cover over the. A multitude of sins is by confronting them and saying hey i've been kind of watching this behavior for a while and i just need to let you know like it's, i know that's not who you want to be and i'm going to walk with you i'm going to pray with you but i can't let you stay where you are we got to move forward in a different way a more healthy way that sound fun <laughs> you'd rather die wouldn't you You can just bring bring me with you, and I'll just do it for you. I don't mind. But for a moment, I also want to flip the script here and consider the alternative. If love covers over, if love covers over, then what does a lack of love do? A lack of love uncovers and exposes. It gets delight in the revealing of the wrongs of others. Its posture is one, of, is one of being on the lookout for people to mess up so we can pounce on their missteps. A lack of love rushes in to gossip and can condemn the other person. Can you believe what they did? Did you hear about so-and-so? This is a powerful quote I came across It sums up that, that spirit. It says, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses, and even some large ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion, every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. A lack of love judges quickly and harshly before we even take the time to maybe take in the full story (laughs) or to understand what wounds or trauma a person may have been through that leads to those sinful actions or behaviors at times. A lack of love makes assumptions about people's motives. We just think we know why they're doing what they're doing or the way they're acting. we might not. (laughs) Proverbs 10, 12 says this, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Like we talked about last week, are we people who seek peace and pursue it? Remember we looked at that verse in 1 Peter 3, seeking peace and pursuing it, or are we a person that stirs up conflict? Do we stir the pot? Because if there's one thing that I've picked up um, in my years of reading the Bible is, man, Jesus really has some really harsh words to say to people who claim to be Christians but respond in unloving ways towards their brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, you want to see Jesus get angry? don't forgive your brother that really hacks him off <laughs> i want you to turn your bibles over to first john just a couple books over from where we were in first peter page 1741 first 1 john chapter 4 Starting in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brothers and sisters whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There's not a lot of compromising language there, is there? You must do this. If you claim to love God, to be a follower of him, you must love your brother and sister in Christ. Like there's just no getting around it. And none of this is easy, right? Our flesh wants to see people kind of get what they deserve a little bit, what they got coming to them, for them to have to suffer some pain from their sinful actions. But again, that's not how God treats you and I. And we're really glad, right, that we don't get what we deserve, Yet sometimes we want to see other people get what we feel like they deserve. You see the double standard there. You think that's an offense to God? Paul writes in Colossians 3, To bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Who are we to withhold forgiveness? Who are we to bear grudges when God didn't do that towards us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we'd done anything to make things right, to apologize, (laughs) he extended this hand of forgiveness to us. Yet we think that people have to go through this checklist of things they need to do to make things right before I'll reenter into a relationship with them again. I want us to just take a moment (laughs) to just close our eyes and just silently reflect on how the Lord has forgiven us. Can you just like take a moment and just kind of recount your own story of God's forgiveness for you? Guys, this is a great process for us to just practice (laughs) when we're feeling hurt by somebody or before we walk into a conversation where we're going to have to extend some grace and forgiveness to somebody else is just to sit in our own mess and remember what God has forgiven us, right? Because here's the amazing thing um, is that I might have a grievance with Brent, for instance, right? And, And I've got this issue here that feels really heavy and like he's really wronged me. And I feel the intensity of that. But you guys have to keep in mind that God not only knows my heart right now, he also knows everything I'm going to do the rest of my life (laughs) that's offensive to him and others. And it's already forgiven me for all of that, let alone just what's right here between me and my brother right now the depth and grace of god's forgiveness i don't have to forgive brent quite yet for for all the stuff down the road god just asked me for this moment right here can you just extend some grace to your brother whether or not they own it come clean with it that's not the point the point is is that in ways that you didn't do that i forgave you have we apologized for every sin that we've ever committed have we made things right for god with god for everything we've ever done I'm not even aware of most of my sin. How can I make, make it right with him <laughs> when I don't even know the depth of what I've done, right? Guys, we have this amazing opportunity to love one another deeply and, and to cover over the sins of our brothers and sisters in ways that make them feel God's forgiveness and acceptance and pleasure in their worst moments. What a, what a gift we have to give somebody else. I love the way Paul puts it in Romans 12, 10. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. One of his uh, love is statements from, from 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, love does not dishonor others. What does it look like to honor one another? Let me just ask you this question real quickly as we close. How do you wanna be protected in your worst moments? I want you to think about a time when when you've blown it or imagine a time when you will. How do you wanna be protected in those moments? What do you want the people around you that know your heart to do? Yeah. Be reminded of who I am. <clears throat> Not defined by the event or scenario. Yeah, remind us who we are right? What our, our true nature, who we are in Christ, right? You are holy, you are blameless, you are loved. <laughs> Not remind us about who we are in that worst moment, right? Good. So remind us of the truth about us. What else do we, how else do we hope to be protected in those times? Yeah, yeah, Yep. Yep. that's great, man, right? In our worst moments, we don't want that person to bring that back up again and again and kind of rub it in our face, like knowing that, hey, I've got this trump card that whenever I want to, (laughs) I can go back to that offense and just remind you, hey, (laughs) remember that you did this. And I forgave you, right? Jesus doesn't do that to us, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He remembers them no more. Man, that's a, that's a great one. Thank you. Anything else? Any other way you'd like to be protected? Yeah, will Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, whatever the opposite of just do better, you know, yeah, right, um, yeah, which is just a solution that doesn't really get to the heart, right, and so maybe in those moments how we want to be protected is to say, hey, I know that you did this and you feel a lot of guilt and shame around this action, but, but what I'd really like to do is talk about how did we get there? Like, what was going on in your heart that led you to act like this, to to lose your cool, to be angry, to whatever? Like, being curious and intentional about someone's heart shows care and protection. It helps them understand that there's something deeper going on in me. I'm hurting. (laughs) I'm hurting, and this is why I'm acting like this. Take the time to get to know my story here, what's happened to me, right? Right? I think one for me is like, man, I just want somebody to believe the best about me and to speak about the best about me to other people, right? To go to their friends maybe who are gossiping and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, that was, Bob kind of blew it there. But man, I've been a friend of his for a long time and he's, he's a good guy, man. He really loves the Lord and he's, he's aware of his mistakes and he's working on it. He's in counseling, he's in a small group, he's inviting accountability with other people, I think you need to hang in there with them. You know, man, we want to have friends like that, right? We want to be friends like that in those moments. In the light of eternity, how can we honor one another? What things do we need to overlook? And what things do we need to confront in love? And guys, that takes a lot of wisdom and discernment and sometimes counsel. Right, if I've got an issue with someone, sometimes I might have to go to another friend and kind of explain the situation and say, What do you think here? Is this something I just need to overlook? Maybe because of me, maybe I got offended too easily. Or maybe it's just because, man, this person's just kind of hurting. And probably what they need right now is just some grace and care, more so than your judgment and frustration. And sometimes an outside set of eyes can help us discern that a little bit better than we can because we're caught up in the emotion of the encounter. It takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of humility on our part to remember who we are (laughs) and what we've done, right? So just don't rush into these things. And how do we couch it all in grace and mercy, forgiving as the Lord forgave us? The last thing... God put on my heart this morning as I was practicing this through was this verse from James 2.13 that says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Hmm. Guys, I just want to acknowledge that this stuff we talked about this morning is difficult. It's difficult because... Uh, You guys, a lot of you, many of you are probably thinking of a person, (laughs) right? You've got somebody in your life right now where there's some tension and you're trying to figure out the next dance step. Is the next dance step to overlook and just extend grace or is it to confront and and, then deal with it in a gentle, loving, patient, kind way? All those things we talked about. And I just want you to know that I feel the heaviness of that in the room this morning. I'd love to talk with you if you need some advice about how to go through with that. But just remember, whatever you're going to do before you do anything (laughs) is just to hold a mirror up to yourself. And be reminded how God forgave you and how you want him to treat you when you're a (laughs) screw-up and you don't get it right. And how much you appreciate the way he does that, right? To kind of ready your heart before you step into that potentially tense situation, okay? Let's cover over one another well here at Wellspring. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. I'm just blown away Uh, the more and more I get to know your heart the more and more I get to, to see the depth of my own junk <laughs> and how just day after day after day, as Scripture says, your mercies are new every morning. Every day I wake up with a clean slate before you. <laughs> that is a gift that I could never repay. God, help us to love one another deeply. In light of eternity man some of the stuff that we hold on to and want to point out and critique just doesn't matter we just need to let some stuff go there's other stuff that man we've we've been letting go for too long we we struggle to to have hard conversations i pray that you would give us courage to confront if we need to and to do it in a tender loving way god i pray that you would just take us deeper into your heart we would understand your love so that we can extend your love well to those in this world that desperately need it and the world certainly needs a different message than what it's getting from our culture or even from christian culture out there there's a better way a deeper way a way that takes more time it takes time to get to know people's stories and to seek and be curious about their hearts